Well, prepare for some extremely crisp audio coming in hot from Colin McDonald because I'm in the uh, dedicated podcast recording room of the swanky-ass co-working space that I work out of these days, and I'm pretty happy about it. This is a real rich-get-richer situation, and I feel like my audio is going to be even more noticeably worse this time around. That's right. What is on Hacker News? Well, there is the Boring Avatars uh, Avatars. website, which I don't understand the purpose of, but it's pretty great. Uh, It's one of those things you don't understand the purpose of until you need to do it, or you, you, you you need it, and then it's like, man... It's really too bad that you need like, you know, a non-staff designer to like generate avatars that look like GitHub or, you know, whatever else. Uh, oh, and I've that? made so okay. many websites that uh, just have that like kind of like dumb gray like silhouette avatar. That's like your mm-hmm. default until you upload your own photo. But uh, generating a random one, uh, especially some of the, with some of these designs, which I really like, I think is a great idea. I love Beam. Did you look at? Were you looking at Beam? I am on Beam right now, and it is—it has got to be the best one. It's so adorable. It's uh, just like these cute little cartoon faces, and then they kind of give this vague impression of hair by just kind of like, you know, uh, having just like these little like half moons of a different color inside of the circle, and uh, these faces are just hilarious to look at. Yeah, the faces are great. I would also say I also like Bauhaus uh, with just the mm-hmm. circles and lines everywhere. Bauhaus is really good. That one feels uh, feels like, I don't know, the kind of version of this that I would go for if I was trying to implement it, where you just are trying to, like, create as much, like, visual noise as possible to make it, like, extra random and extra, like, engaging. And it's right. just, like, I think everyone has, like, a thick line, a thin line, and a circle just kind of randomly strewn about, and they're all different colors. Looks very cool. Though this does make me think, maybe I have a misunderstanding of Bauhaus design entirely, because I thought it was, like, <laughs> I thought it was more like utilitarian or something. I thought it was kind of like, you know, East Germany, like, you know, like very intense kind of stripped down, you know? But yeah, maybe I'm I do totally think, wrong. I, uh, I, think, uh, I think that's mostly right, but it also has like lots of angles and like not symmetric stuff happening. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm getting a better sense now that I'm on Google Images here. I like Bauhaus. Yeah, I do too. Is, is this an original thought? <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Colin's could, stamp of approval on Bauhaus. Could be big. Could be big in the design world. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, there's UFOs. Again, that's huge. It's really hard for me to read anything about US UFOs, so <laughs> I saw this headline, but I didn't even bother. What what What's going on with this? I did click on it. It's a new video from filmmaker Jeremy Corbel who uh, somehow got this video f- that was recorded by some, like, you know, service member aboard the USS Omaha. And it's just, like, this, like, uh, you know, them in the radar room. It's, like, an iPhone photo of or a video of this, like, you know, kind of, like, radar screen that just looks straight out of something from, you know, U571 or whatever. And uh, they were just getting swarmed by these, like, mystery drones. Like, there's up to nine of them at some point that were going at like, you know, 50 to 60 knots, something like that. Let's see how much is that. Okay, 25, or sorry, that's like 57 miles an hour, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were all just getting swarmed by these drones, and you can like see them all on the radar. And then they all started, like, I guess at least one of them like dove into the water and like disappeared from radar. 
And so there's like all this hypothesizing that these drones are like multi-medium where they're able to fly through the air and then like go into the water. So they're like amphibious. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, this, the video seems to be legitimate and no one seems to know what it is. And this, because these are moving so much faster, the kind of previous theories from the other videos uh, that, you know, the theories were basically that there was like weather balloons and stuff that were falling from the sky, things like that. But because there's like many of them now, seemingly in these like swarm, swarmy maneuvers, uh, it seems to be kind of a different thing. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation that will come out eventually or it won't. Yeah. Like aliens. It's the most reasonable explanation. <laughs> Fermi paradox. Come on. It's going to be so fun. I really want there to be, be aliens. Just yeah, so. Uh, it would definitely be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I think it would be worth it for aliens to exist just so that like, let's see, like Travis Barker can like feel validated. He like, I want to say, and I don't know if I have this right or not. He left Blink-182 so that he could like focus on yeah, his oh, yeah. UFO conspiracies or something. I, yes, I remember this. That was bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, I see. DeLong, that's why Tom DeLong left the band. Uh yeah, this is incredible. So yeah, DeLong, wait for it, uh, left the band in 2019, uh, let's see, to pursue his company To The Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences. So the full title of his company is To The Stars Academy of Arts and Scientists, uh, of Arts and Sciences, which is devoted specifically to investigating UFOs. I love this. If Tom he DeLong just stated, named his company To The Moon instead. I know. He would have been so ahead of his time. Yeah. Speaking of uh, being ahead of your time, I was reading this article. Uh, It's on Slow Boring, which is uh, Matthew Iglesias' substack. Let's see here. And it's all about this kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a retrospective on on how the media handled, like, all the coverage surrounding the theory that, you know, COVID started in a lab, like the lab leak theory. Ah, yes, the lab leak theory. And uh, it was a pretty, it was pretty fun to read. He just kind of laid out the entire, I hadn't even really seen an article like this, but it was just kind of this like, you know, timeline analysis of like, you know, when, what claims were made and which, which outlets wrote which articles and how they were, you know, uh, received or not received like on the internet or by the rest of the media and kind of just like uh, also had the kind of subcurrent explaining, uh, you know, kind of uh timelining the increasing partisanship in covid coverage which i was also kind of interesting where he kind of like tracked the entire uh you know uh like how how different outlets were covering covid in like january and february and how you know when that started changing in march and april to be like more partisan uh or like you know liberal outlets were like downplaying you know the uh kind of severity of the situation and uh, more conservative outlets were like up playing it, uh, and then he kind of like you know shows when these kind of like partisan lines started like forming and ossifying in a weird way. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think we're gonna keep hearing more about about this uh, lab leak theory. Yeah, seems like it. I I also read this uh, Matthew Iglesias post and uh, I thought it was really interesting and uh, deeply concerning about the future and how people read and write the news it's uh it's stressing me out 
it was very concerning. It's they're just sometimes you just need a few facts to make logical conclusions about things, you know, <laughs> and or even to like at least consider them as possibilities. And uh, COVID has COVID has really stressed me out about humanity's ability to to think scientifically. Yep, it yeah, is very odd. He definitely like specifically dismantled what happened here, which is that there was this, uh, you know, Tom Cotton, I guess, is the guy who first started talking about this in Congress, about the lab leak theory in general. And he basically said, like, you know, well, there's this whole lab facility in Wuhan that, like, deals with this stuff. We should, like, you know, like, there's a, a chance that this is where it came from and we should investigate it. And then that got all wrapped up into this actual conspiracy theory, which is that this is, like, a leaked bioweapon that, like, may or may not have been intentionally released by the Chinese government, which is, you know, presumably, I mean, patently, like, ridiculous. But then because these got conflated together, you know, it it just became, like, uh, a thing where the social media companies that were doing, like, the post-filtering were painting with too broad of a brush and filtering out everything uh, that was related to the lab leak theory in general instead of trying to, like, tease apart what was the lab leak, like, the more legitimate lab leak theory and what was the, like you know, the associated crazy conspiracy theories. Uh, anyway, good stuff. Yeah. Matt Iglesias is a good writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he's very good. And uh, there's also an interesting tweet from Paul Graham uh, just a couple days ago about how, it, with an example of articles that have been edited since they came out last March about this to try to allow for more possibilities. So mm-hmm. there's, for example, a Vox article where there was a sentence originally in March that said, the emergence of the virus in the same city as China's only level four biosafety lab, it turns out is pure coincidence. And since that article has been published, the sentence has been rephrased, it turns out appears to be pure coincidence. And And that's like one of like four examples of these like edits going back, trying to soften the language. Because oh, people totally dismissed the possibility that it was a lab leak, even though it made no sense at the time to dismiss it. Yeah, I'm not saying it did. It was definitely a lab leak. I'm just saying there is a there. You could clearly see the logical steps of how it could be a lab leak. So why would you dismiss it? <laughs> Paul Graham. I also saw him chiming in in the mentions of this Nate Silver tweet, where Nate Silver decided to start, uh, you know, like trying to estimate probabilities that the lab leak theory is true uh, in some, like, very hand-wavy way. What um, if you put the probability at? Oh, I think he, it was, like, it wasn't, like, a real, like, model he was trying. I think he just put it at 50% okay. or something, just, like, gotcha. based okay. on... He, he was kind of explaining the f- more the rationale behind the decision, which is that, you know, there's two camps of people, and in the one camp, there's been, like, a precedent to, like, heavily try to like censor the narrative uh, or like, you know, I can't remember what the, the term he used was, uh, but like, you know, certain people like allow, you know, allow for like more, more ideas to be expressed, which is in this particular case, like the conservative side. And the other side is like very much like, you know, trying to allow, mm, you know, for the sake of cultural sensitivity, trying to like avoid like even entertaining the notion of the lab leak theory. And so he was just like, in this particular case, it seems likely that the uh, uh, the lab leak 
people, you know, probably have like better estimates of the likelihood of the situation, um, just because there aren't any like uh, compounding factors, I suppose. Interesting. So, well, I'm okay with in saying this is exactly how we think about evaluating startups or something like that. You know, <laughs> oh the gosh. most Paul Graham we think okay. of all time. That really is, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm okay with people uh, putting any percentage suggestion of the probability that's a lab leak, except for zero and 100%. Yep. That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's a good tweet. I like, I, you should tweet that. Maybe I will. Okay, we'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> Everyone go retweet it. <laughs> uh, in other news, second-guessing the modern web is back around for back uh, again. the second time. Tom McWright uh, really killing the HN game here. It's the fourth guess of the modern web. <laughs> Does it multiply? Or is this uh, the third time? Or Well, uh, that's a good question. Well, he second-guessed <laughs> it. Yeah, it multiplies because he second-guessed it. And then it's second against it a second time. But that's the, the third guess. It goes uh, up linearly. Hmm. Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, it's the third guessing of the modern web. If he'd, like, tw- in the interim had, like, you know, a corrective, which <laughs> yeah. arguably, I think, is called for. I mean, come on, Tom. The second the modern web is great, all right? Get on board or go back to writing PHP CGI scripts, you know? Jeez. Or do your mad madness HTML over the wire BS that uh, you know the Basecamp people are trying to pull off. <laughs> oh, this is good. Maybe the implosion of Basecamp is going to decrease the probability that we switch over to their insane technologies. This is great news. I feel like this is like a really this story get should get like a feature length article. Maybe I need to write an article or something. But I feel like all of these stories, this plus mighty. All mm-hmm. connect to the same thing of the web is just really, really awful, really <laughs> awful technology. It's really the like the layout engine of the web is a disaster. And what and Alan Kay has been saying this since 1995, but I think everybody has realized it in like the last two years. Yeah. And there's now like multiple different paths that we could take into the future to resolve this. And one of it is mighty. This is why I find mighty interesting because it's like. Here's here's a solution for the web. Is anybody going to do anything better than just video streaming from a supercomputer? Uh, it's tough though, because you can just build whatever you want on top of the web, and as long as it doesn't come with like unacceptable performance trade-offs, like you can just you can build anything you want on top of it. I don't know. It's Turing complete, you know. React. Well, you know, there's so many React libraries that now de- like have their own layout engines. You know, kind essentially like their own idiomatic way of laying things out. That are like, you know, more akin to whatever stack views in iOS or like, plus, not to mention like Flexbox and CSS Grid, like actually be like having like wide adoption now. I, I think this is probably deeper than just like l- the literal like, you know, padding margin layout like engine uh, debate. Uh, and so I'd, I'd be curious to see a deeper dive into it. Yeah, well, I think it's the it's not not just CSS, but actually more HTML. I think is the actual problem. Like, hmm. we we need access to like a bitmap display, <laughs> a bitmap display, which I get you could do with Canvas, but then it's kind of not the web. But then people have been, in some sense, people yeah. have been talking about like, is the future of every website a big Canvas, a full page Canvas element with complete custom rendering inside of a Canvas element? And maybe, maybe that's another possibility. Maybe. 
Did we cover on the podcast that uh, Google Docs is switching over to Canvas entirely? There we go. That's a great example. Yeah, I don't think we talked about that, but yeah, it is. I think we we uh, we weren't recording because you were mid move, and uh, oh, that was only, under that the was bus a big there. one. Okay. Yeah. So you know, you're just like we're kind of like a bad host, I would say, and like just really like shirking your duties. But you know, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Uh, but the takeaway is that HN like hated it. <laughs> they were like super not on board. Though, yeah, I know. Weirdly, I don't understand that at all. Yeah, I I want to say one of the like major objections was just like this is like a accessibility nightmare. Okay, and but like all the... of the work that accessibility people have been doing goes out the window because of uh yeah i don't know like there's there's no systems in place uh, of equivalent like well yeah of equivalent like reach or uh uh whatever in in the canvas universe yeah but wasn't google docs already uh accessibility nightmare <laughs> i mean i haven't i haven't seen somebody uh, with accessibility needs use it but i just can't imagine that like the the default browser accessibility features would work well on something with that level of complexity and nested menus and everything like yeah that's hmm that's a good question i think it's mostly about the content in the document where like you can't okay not about i i think they do have the menus i do i do think they have nested menus figured out with modern accessibility features but i think it's just like there may be something about canvas components in general where it's just not really like uh the the browser just can't like you know extract the content in a structured way it just like sees right. it as like big blobs of, of svg or whatever it, yeah. whatever you render inside canvas yeah and i don't think that's i'm sure it's a solvable problem but it may require like you know additions to the web apis that will take years to to happen things like that yeah so we'll see they'll probably have the gmail style like uh fall back to basic html or whatever like just keep this version around mm-hmm. um you know for the people who need it 